0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend Al-Chavruta Yerdeyna asband our DAF of the Day, Masechet Nedarim, DAF Mem, page 40. So, as promised, we here have the stories of the various members of Chazal falling sick and getting visitors. The story that we have at the top of the DAF is Rav Khalbo. It actually begins with one line on the previous DAF. Rav Chalbo Chalash, Nafak Achrez Rav Kahana. So Rav Chalbo got sick, Rev Kahana went out, and he announced Meaning, he goes out and makes an announcement that Rav Chalbo is sick. And then, this is really sad, Nobody came. Nobody came to visit him. So Rav Kahana then goes and says to the Chachamen, to the sages, Rav Kahana says to the sages, isn't this the situation? Didn't the the situation involving one of the students with Rabbi Akiva who got sick wasn't it exactly like this, meaning that nobody came to visit. Nobody came to visit him. None of the sages came in to visit that guy, the student of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva did come to visit him. And then he told his students um, to take care of him. And then they swept the floor and they sprinkled water on the floor to whatever, meaning they cleaned up a bit. They treated him a little bit well and he recovered. And wasn't it because of that that he recovered? Amar Rebbi Rebbe And the student, the Rebbe Kiva student said to Rebbe Kiva, my teacher, you have brought me back to life. You have revived me. It doesn't literally mean resurrection. It means colloquially, wow, I'm alive again, right? not Rebbe Kiva v'darash, call me she'en she. So Rabbi Akiva went out and taught, and this is perhaps, your Dana, you know, what you said the other day, yesterday, about how it's such a, in the mindset of the Jewish people that we visit the sick. Perhaps this is where some of that comes from anyway. Rabbi Akiva made this very strong statement that anybody who does not visit the sick, it is as though they are committing murder, they or at least spilling blood, meaning some kind of, you know, harm, being done to the person who is sick, because, because look how much can be done when you visit somebody, right, that it revives them to such an extent. And, you know, when you've got sick people who have nobody to care for them, you know, then you still have to make sure the people that there are visitors to come, you know, to take care of them, because the problem, of course, is the people who have nobody to care for them are not always known, it's not always known that they need the care. Okay, the Gemara goes on. At Rav, Dimi, Rav Dimi, came from Eretz Israel to Bavel. He does this, right? We have a lot of stories of Rav Dimi traveling. Amar, he says, lo So Rav Dimi said in Bavel, he made this statement that anybody who visits the sick will bring that person to live. lo And a person who doesn't visit the sick will cause, causes that that person will die. Now, the question is, of course, it's a little bit ambiguous in the grammar here, right? Is he causing himself to live or is he causing himself to die? Or is he causing the sick person to live or the sick person to die? Um, Okay, my garama. So the Gemara says, well, what is, what does his actions have to do with that result, right? Meaning if we're saying, again, the question then is that it seems to be that he's talking about himself, Why would his visiting somebody or not have any impact on himself? So the Gemara goes on to say, well, let's assume we're talking about the person who's sick and the person who visits then could daven, could pray on his behalf to plead for mercy that the person would live. Or what if he would pray that he, the person would die so that he's really causing this person's, you know, like for death? And the Gemara says, really, are you going to believe that the person is praying that the person's going to die? So rather understand it, that anybody who doesn't visit the sick does not get involved in pleading for mercy for the person who's sick, and then neither will he live nor will he die, meaning he's not going to plead for mercy for him and he's not going to plead that he's going to live or is nor that he's going to die, meaning he might have saved that sick person if he had prayed, meaning prayed on his behalf. But the fact that he didn't visit um, and, and so therefore the fact that he didn't visit and didn't pray on his behalf is you know, equivalent to causing his death. But that's not the same thing as saying he prayed for his death. It's just the absence of of his prayer for his recovery. Fine. The gemara goes on. A little bit of a different, you know, still talking to Rava, um, who appeared before. Rava, yoma kadma'a d'chalish, amara Lahun lo Tiglul So Rava was sick. And on that first day that he got sick, he said to his family, don't tell anybody that I am sick. Dolotra mazle didn't want anybody else's luck whatever this really means that he doesn't want his luck to to suffer right why because as long as nobody is aware that river was sick then they're not going to be talking about it then he could just get better right but the moment he his everybody's talking about his sickness then it's as if and this is you know again commentary here but the idea is that it's opening the door to the Satan, right, for somebody to come and accuse against Rava, and then it puts Ravah at greater risk when his illness would become public knowledge. Now, again, this is commentary. It's not even the direct quote of the Gemara, but the idea here is still that he wants to keep it quiet for his own safety. It's not that he doesn't want to be talked about, it's that he doesn't want the ramifications of him being talked about to come back to bite him. So the Gemara goes on and says, Mikan ve'elach amar bashuka." But then after that, after that first day, he got worse. He felt poorly, right? Much worse. And he says to them, go out and, you know, announce in the marketplace that I am sick and let everybody who hates me, this is really interesting, The li li chad, so that he says, let anybody who hates me um, can, like, dance, can be rejoicing in the fact that I don't feel well. Now, one second, we have a verse that says from Proverbs, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Right. And the verse, you know, goes on to say like, or even here it's quoted, it's not, it's paraphrased, right. That you should not be happy when your enemy stumbles, you know, and the point being then is, you know, lest God would see that God would be displeased. God will then turn away from him. The whole thing ends up being, you know, not good for the sick person at all. Um, but also, not good for any of the parties involved. Let all who love me here, I'll read it again. Let all who love me pray that Hashem would have mercy on me. That's what he wants to happen. The reason you say that is because, again, if the enemies are really going to be rejoicing, then the fear is that God will also turn away. Um, this statement of you know, not rejoicing in one's enemies' down, you know, sorrow or or misfortune is, I think, also a very Jewish concept. Uh, you know, it's one thing to rejoice that we might be saved, but that doesn't re- mean we rejoice at the harm c- that comes to somebody else. Okay, I'm going to stop here and turn it over to you. There's, I want to say, there's very good, interesting um, drashot on the staff, and we're just constrained by time.
1: It's just, it's interesting to see this staff because, you know, it's clear to see a lot of the issues that we deal with today with visiting sick people, like the story with Rabbi Akiva and somebody not having someone there to actually take care of the sick person. Uh, Some of the discussion around, do you make illness public or do you keep it private? And what are some of the motivations for that? These are things that are still true today, right? Like there's nothing new here. And we're getting an opportunity to to learn how some of the Tanaim and Amariahs these particular types of situations, which I which I personally um, always uh, uh, always appreciate. Uh, move on now to the bottom of Amad Aleph and on to Ahmed Bet. Uh, and uh, there's a discussion that says Ravin Amarav. So Ravin said the name of Rav, It's a very, very famous teaching in the Gemara. How do we know that the divine presence, the Shrina, the sick person, right? And the idea is, is that even in a moment of illness, there is sort of a holy presence that is still there with that sick person. And I think this teaching is meant to be a comfort that often when people are sick, they actually feel very far from God. And so Robin is coming to basically to just know actually God is very much with you when you are sick. God is with you in that moment. And so here they quote this pasuk um, that was actually quoted uh, or on with a different teaching in Tiki chapter forty-one, verse four, that says Hashem Yisadenu Al Eresh Davai, right? Hashem will fortify him uh, while Hashem is on the sickbed. Um, and then the Gemara brings a Brisa uh, that discusses this a little bit more. But really, part of what's interesting about this Brisa is it tells you how do we do the mitzvah Bikor Cholim? How are we supposed to visit a sick person? Tanya Nami Hachi was also taught in a Brisa to visit a sick person. You should not sit on the bed, right? Below below nor on a bench or on a chair, okay? So apparently the Mepharchim explained that this may only apply to a sick person who's low on the ground or on the bed. So it's not like the visitor is higher than the sick person. So rather you should wrap himself, you know, in a cloak or something like that and sit on the ground. Because the divine presence is above the bed of the sick person. So the idea here is, is that when you, the visitor, go to visit the sick person, you are actually uh, in the presence of God, right? You're in the presence of the khina, and therefore you need to act accordingly. And again, they quote this pasuk from Tiki that we just mentioned, right? That Hashem is I think this teaching, teaching is, yes, it's instructive. It tells us how we're supposed to visit a sick person. But, you know, I think also this teaching is meant to be comforting to people that even when you're sick and feel farthest from God, remember that God is actually with you. Um, and then the, the Gemara goes on to give another teaching. for Amar Rabin, Amar Rab, again with Rabin in the name of Rab. Mitra Rabin, when rain falls in the West, meaning in Eretz Yisrael, Zahad Rabbah Prat. The Euphrates in Bavel bears witness to it. In other words, the Euphrates, when there's rain in Eretz Yisrael, it means the Euphrates actually becomes uh, uh, very, very, uh, it's filled with a lot of water. Now, it, this is a very, very, well, maybe we'll read the whole Gemara and then we'll talk a little bit about what it's talking about. But remember, the Euphrates is supposed to be sort of the north, northeastern border of all the land that was promised to us. It's mentioned in Bereshit to Abraham in chapter 15. Um, and it flows all the way down into Babel. So the idea here is that when a Jew is in Babel, sees that the Euphrates is very, very full, even though there hasn't necessarily been rainfall there, they know that there was a lot of rain in Eretz Yisrael. And the idea is, is that they actually could be happy for the fact that something good happen in uh Eretz Yisrael. Right, but uh, w- what's going to be discussed here a little bit is is that uh, this is going to have to do actually the halachic piece of this is is that if you have uh, a river that is you know more full than usual because of an increase in rainfall, right? Is it a the mikvah. Now, uh, the reason uh for that is is that a river we only use a river that is sort of fed by a natural spring, okay? And that is the type of thing, whereas rainwater doesn't come from a spring and therefore you cannot use rainwater uh, for uh, for a mitzvah, okay? So that that's a little bit of what's going on here. So this teaching here, okay, of, uh, that, that's kind of the background to what this teaching is here. So it's only when the river is not swollen are you allowed to use it for the mikvah? So now the Gemara goes on to say, Upliga de Shmuel. Shmuel disagrees with this. Amar Shmuel, Naharya mitbarech. A river is increased from its bedrock. In other words, what Shmuel is saying is, is like, yes, you can have sort of this overflowing during the reef. But the reason for that is, is because the, feet, the springs that are underneath the bedrock of the riverbed, right, they they actually become they feed more of the river. And so therefore what Shmuel would teach is is that you're always allowed to immerse even in this type of river. Um, even when it looks like maybe the river is more full because of rainwater, because actually that's not how the river gets full. It really gets full from the Mayan that is underneath the springs that are underneath it. it unless it is the so the 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 ending part of this uh 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 sorry I skipped here for a second excuse me let me go back it seems that Shmuel's statement is disagrees with something else that shmuel said water does not purify while it's flowing unless it's uh during the days of uh, during the days of Tishrei. And then it goes on, right? Shmuel's father would prepare mikvahs for his daughter during the days of Nisan, Nisan, and Matz during the days of Tishrei. Okay, so if you look at Ahmed Bet here, you see that there's this ginormous Ron here, <laughs> right? Basically, uh, it's, a lot of it's, a lot of it's a lot of Ron, it's a lot of explanation about. What is exactly is going on here? But essentially, Shmuel is basically giving uh, two two sets of criteria that have to happen in order to use a flowing bod- body of water for a mikvah. It has to be similar to the Euphrates in that it's known to never run dry. Okay, um, and then uh, and then the second one is is that even if it's known to never run dry, like the Euphrates and other rivers, right? Um, it it someone who's not familiar with the lowest level the river reaches all year round can immerse in it only in the days of Tishrei because by Tishrei what we know is is that by then all the snow has basically melted right so there's no runoff into the rivers and the rainy season hasn't hasn't begun yet either so we don't need to worry about that that river is full of rainwater and not of spring water. So this is basically the explanation that I'll give for this. But this is like one of these passages in the Gemara that like you could read the words make sense to us, but you actually have to spend a lot of time with the commentators to understand what exactly is going on, because it's completely not evident from the wording of the Gemara itself. So I just gave a little bit of a taste of it. I don't even know that I explained as much of it as I should have. Uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's a little interesting uh, sidetrack here. Uh, just about about McVoad and, and the rain and and how do we say that you can actually use a river for immersion
0: I mean I think it's a really interesting point of realia right like you know we're, first we start off talking about um, I want to say like a more abstract halacha what you're supposed to do under certain circumstances and then the moment you start dealing with you know actual rivers that's very concrete I mean pardon the Play on words, right? Meaning you're dealing with reality as they knew it, and they're addressing it in a very direct, specific kind of manner. And then we can extrapolate from that, or, or you know, Bali Halakha can extrapolate from that to apply to other rivers and other circumstances and so on. But I feel like it re- very much brings it to life. I understand why the ron has a hard time. If he could use illustrations and video, he probably would have had an easier time and wouldn't take up the hold off with commentary.
1: Well, that's our... Today, rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Time and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn